Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hope Lafferty's Existential Crisis, the podcast for creativity and other phenomena. It's me, Hope Lafferty. Welcome to my episode. As we like to do at the top of the show, it's story time, so let's listen to something that I call So Cal. He smelled like chili cheese Fritos. I only tried them once and barely got through the first few crunches. These smell like cow, I thought as my stomach turned. As I thought of his mechanic grease hands and his matted long brown hippie hair assaulting his rust and dirt parka with the gray charcoal fringe around the hood, as he'd grab the door jam and attempt to appear normal, saying in his cracked gomer pile soaked voice, they got some donuts in there. Just in case you're interested or anything. He always attempted to sound aloof. James Dean cool after he sought some positive attention that always elicited a thank you, Cal, from those he felt inclined to inform. Coffee's ready, in case you want some. Thank you, Cal, we all obliged, wondering what any less-than-committed response would do to his apparently tenuous mental stability. Got the walk cleared, just in case you want to take a break or something. Thank you, Cal. Good boy. Now, go help yourself to some more day-old cherry donuts donated to the food pantry and the coffee a la styrofoam and five sugars. Instead of standing aroma anti-therapeutically in the doorway to the front office, milking your beard with coffee, crumbing your face with donut, while I wonder what I'll have to do to shift the conversation to a close so that I may inhale again. I think of aroma anti-therapeutic. I think of August in New York, New York City, uh, Manhattan specifically, although probably some boroughs might be less therapeutic aromatically. Um, yeah, this is, this last free write was an autobiographical free write. Uh, this occurred, kind of occurred, uh, when I was going through an earlier existential crisis, back when my Saturn returned when I was 28. I think Saturn honestly didn't return for me until I was about 30. Uh, but th- this was during the first career that I jettisoned. I, I was working in Madison, Wisconsin, where the beer is so cheap and so plentiful that everybody has to leave the state to go to Minnesota to get into recovery. At any rate, this was, uh, this was a man that I knew who was diagnosed with a lot of different Axis One disorders, um, and if you didn't know that I used to be a psychotherapist when I first started my career, I wasn't working as a psychotherapist at the time. And honestly, of all the people that I worked with, he probably was the most odiferous. Odiferous. I don't know if I want to use that word very often. Thinking about him actually brings a certain metallic taste to my mouth. And I still can't even really look at a bag of chili cheese Fritos ever since they invented those two decades ago. Man, one one smell and it just, what they say ain't food. This is not food. Boy, this is not food. 
It's really interesting when you're a kinesthetic learner. I wonder if there's like a a term for for those of us that learn by taste. <laughs> they don't really talk about that very much. <laughs> and I I probably have to get out my my thesaurus to figure out what what Greek root that would be. So if you know, tweet me at the Hope Crisis. Let me know what what a what a what a mouth breather. What a what a person who would. Uh, learn by tasting things would be uh, that reminds me of that kid from uh, from the Christmas story that t- stuck his tongue to the to the frozen pole. Uh, boy, am I bringing in lots of lots of metaphors, lots of metaphors from the eighties and nineties here, folks. Here on Hope Lafferty's existential crisis, where you never know what you're going to get, but I hope that that is part of the fun. I really like it when uh, when you're saved by producer. <laughs> wow, we even heard some 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 talking there. That was really fun. <laughs> I just got distracted by that. But there's just something really wonderful about when when you say when you feel like the segment is going nowhere and your producer like chimes in with the music. It's like, oh, thank God. Okay. Whew. Life preserver. So here we are in part two of this week's episode. It's uh, again time for this week in existence, the phenomenological part of our show. I got the call. And for those of you with aging parents, you know what I'm talking about. It's that call, that call that one of your parents makes to tell you that the other one of your parents is in the hospital. That call. You know, and the weird thing that my parents, right, so this is, my, my folks, just to give you a sense of my age by, by giving you my parents' age, my, my dad is 86, my mother's 81, and my mother, I was born to my mother when she was uh, 28, which means, speaking of Saturn returns, means our Saturn returns are completely conjoined, which makes, oh, made menopause a blast for all of us, for her. I'm sure she's going, well, she's obviously going through some interesting things right now because she was the one that was in the hospital. Needless to say. All right, so these two, they don't go to the hospital. They go to their doctors regularly. They're those parents. They're the parents that we all hope that we are, that we all hope that we become, these old people that pay attention to themselves and try to frankly be really cheap they're they're mostly cheap i don't even know if they're really particularly concerned about their own health but they're very concerned about not spending money on things that can be prevented they've kind of always been that uh, kind of depression era thing it's like don't you know don't you know money doesn't grow on trees and mortgages are bad and all those things that the depression era kids you know grew up knowing or thinking but all right so i get this call around 6 p.m my time like 6 p.m on the dot and it was unknown caller on my phone. And of course, unknown caller at 6 p.m. I mean, I'm thinking, telemarketer, don't pick up. Who's calling me in the middle of the week? My folks and I have a very set time when we talk to each other. And also, I'm a prodigal daughter. So, all right, yeah, it could be them because they are an unknown caller. But again, it's exactly the top of the hour. Nobody but telemarketers calls in. All right, so 
after a beer, I figure out, oh, there's a message. All right, let's listen to it. See who, see who from Odessa, Texas is calling me to tell me that I need to like get my teeth whitened or something. And of course it's my dad. It's like, and my dad, my dad is an interesting person on the phone. Um, he's, he has dyslexia and nouns are never a key point of his, of his communication style, right? We have spent all of our life just kind of reading his signals and having him essentially pantomime a lot of what his meaning is. But when you're on the phone, you can't really kind of <laughs> pantomime things. And so, you know, fortunately, he was able to say, oh, it's your dad. Your mom's in the hospital. I mean, so he got all of those nouns out. It's like, OK, and then it's not too bad. And he explains it to me. But give me a call when you get a chance. He sounded tired. So I call him back. And of course, the the description that he gives me, again, is very much full of like underscore blank spaces he's trying to communicate he's searching for the words you can hear it but also he's had like a very stressful day apparently because he had to take my mother to the hospital okay so this is this is how things go down in in the world that is Lafferty in the grander Lafferty existential crisis um, of my upbringing my dad is 86 I said he still works 20, 30 hours a week. He's an architect. So why should he retire? And honestly, if he'd retired, he wouldn't know what to do with himself. He'd be tasked with kind of fixing the house that he built. And he's tasked with that enough. So I think, you know, not being in the house for those work times actually gives him a minute to just not regret all the decisions he made when he was 30 and not a carpenter. But (laughs) anyway, so he's at work when my mother has her accident. She actually falls. She trips. She trips down the stairs. And she trips over one stair at the basement in the basement. And what happens is my mother is carrying juice boxes downstairs because she's very mobile and she moves around and she does things and she trips. And of course, she falls head first, you know, kind of face plants into the into the wall. And she has the wherewithal to realize that she's injured. And I remember one of the things that we did growing up, all of us took first aid classes. So we're very much about, again, saving money, frankly. It's like, if you break your arm, you know how to put the splint on it and you will not go to the hospital. We're going to get this, you know, fixed for you. And, you know, it's a very much, very much really, again, less about health, more about frugality. Uh, So my mom is lying on the floor and she's realizing that she's bleeding from her head. Okay. And she has the wherewithal to find some piece of laundry because, of course, in their three-story house, the laundry is still downstairs. I mentioned that my folks are in their 80s. Laundry is still downstairs. She finds a piece of clean laundry and blots her head, I guess, and makes it upstairs, having just fell and disoriented and hit herself in the head. She calls my dad, who's at work. Dick, you need to come home. I injured myself. I just could use you. So he, of course, he works across town, so it takes about a half hour for him to get home. Who knows what he told his boss? Who knows how many nouns were omitted in his communication. But so he like travels across town. Half hour later, he sees my mom upstairs, upstairs with this whatever piece of laundry still kind of blotting her head, uh, not bleeding too bad. And of course, they don't immediately go to the hospital. They actually get on the phone to their doctor. Right. They call their doctor. So this is like not what I call like an emergency situation. If these two octogenarians are negotiating what to do next, not racing anywhere, not, you know, just kind of hobbling around the house and you know, getting on the phone. It's like, all right, well, let's call the doctor. And of course, the doctor being a very good doctor, you know, you might want to go to the hospital because it sounds like you have a head injury. OK, so finally, after all these reassurances, my 
parents take my mother to the, to the hospital. All right. So this is, this is the course of their day. By the time I talk to my dad, he's pretty exhausted. He's ready to kind of chill, but he gives me my mom's phone number in the hospital. They decide to check her in just to make sure all the things, head injury, eighties, all that stuff that, you know, good doctors should do. So he gives me her phone number. And of course, well, I never get a call from my people that say, uh, we went to the hospital. There's a problem, this kind of thing. So as prodigal daughter as I am, as far away as I live from them, this seems like an opportune moment to reach out to my mom, let her know I'm thinking about her. It didn't sound like it was too bad, but she's in overnight. So let her know she's not alone. Right. So I, I call her, she picks up the phone, like, like the house is on fire and she says, hello, she's in fight mode. She is in such fight mode. I said, Oh mom, it's hope. Oh, Oh, he told you. Ah, Oh, I did. I was going to call you tomorrow after I got out of here. I didn't want you to worry. And she's immediately just like ready to just kind of like, Oh, you know, really don't stop, stop paying attention to me. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. I'll be fine. I am in the hospital. I hit my head. I'm, I got 20 stitches, blah, blah. No big deal. She is, she is tough. She's tough. And she's like, she's like a rabid animal because she's out of her element and she does not have a wide comfort zone. This woman, she is, she will tell you exactly what should happen. And she's going to be completely in control. As you saw, she doesn't get knocked out when she hits herself in the head after falling. She musters whatever strength she has to make all the appropriate phone calls and to stop her own bleeding and all these things. Boy, gee, I wonder why I'm a perfectionist. At any rate, so she doesn't want to talk to anybody until it's resolved. And I, of course, trying to reassure her, oh yeah, well, you know, she said, my head doesn't even hurt. It's like, well, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to be a doctor here, but I'm thinking to myself, well, probably because your adrenals are just on fire right now and you have absolutely no sense of you're not being in shock. You are in such shock right now. This is like so strange, but she is like ready to be correct. Come correct. This is what she does. And so hanging up the phone, I never say this to my folks so much unless we see each other, which I don't very often, but I said, I love you, mom. You know, before I hung up the phone, it was like, oh, okay, well, I should be home tomorrow and then hang up and got to get back to like being on guard making sure that she doesn't miss the jello or whatever she's trying to like, you know, make sure that she's awake for or not awake for. It was interesting for me to think about though, cause you know, I hung up the phone and again, it didn't sound like a dire thing, but I'm thinking about my dad at home. I'm thinking about my mom in this hospital room. And of all the times that you think these two old people that have been together for more than 50 years should be together of all the times, this might be one of those moments, right? She's in this strange hospital room. She's in a shared room, again, because we don't spend too much money and what does the insurance cover and all that kind of stuff. But she's in a shared room. It's like, isn't there a way? Isn't there a way now in the world, in the world of healthcare, that like these two old people that are together forever, like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't my dad just want to like hang out there all night? Just, just cause, just to be there, to be with the person that you've chosen to spend your life with. I mean, these people get along with each other. They're part of a dance club. They spend a lot of time together. They bicker like every good Catholic couple bickers, but overall they've got each other, other's back. My dad said something very poignant to me when, when uh, I was on the phone with him, he's like looking around in the basement, trying to figure out where the blood was. He said, it didn't seem like she bled much. Knowing my mother, she probably cleaned it up 
while she was bleeding, you know, while she was administering her own first aid. But my dad was like, oh, no, she doesn't want to come home to that. I don't, I don't want her to come home to that. And he's like trying to find all the places that, you know, he can clean for her. And I'm thinking, boy, what a kind guy, right? Like, oh, I don't, she, she shouldn't see that. I mean, it's her stuff. <laughs> you know, she's seen plenty of blood in her life being a woman, but no, got to clean, no, want to clean that up. And I was like, why are you two in different, different places right now? There's no place for that kind of healing that takes place when you when you're with somebody for that length of time, it seems like that's almost more important, especially since the prognosis was minor. It's like, you can just kind of, I don't know, hold each other's hand, watch some Jeopardy, do what you do, fall asleep. But there's no space for that. It's not, it's not a hotel room. It's not a hotel room. Well, the outcome, interestingly enough, the outcome, first off, my mother... I knew she wasn't too bad because she was kind of complaining when I was talking to her on the phone and, you know, being all together in her way. So I was like, all right, well, she's definitely hasn't lost anything. She's not behaving bizarrely as bizarre as she behaves. She wasn't behaving bizarrely in my, in my world. She talked about how, uh, how the woman that she was in the room with was kind of a talker. And so she didn't get a lot of sleep that night. And I was thinking about another thing, you know, she, she's a college educated woman again, 81. She went to school in the fifties. She studied chemistry in the fifties. And she's in a public hospital with someone who might or might not be educated, certainly needy, certainly needing to talk to anyone that'll listen to the story for the first time, which my mother was. But I got to thinking about that, too. It's like, boy, that is an interesting, interesting road to walk. And my grandmother is the same thing. I mean, she she educated herself, too. She she went to college, got her degree uh, in the 20s. So I come from these immigrant people. I mean, not, not fancy, highbrow, you know, Jane Addams type folks. These are, these are basic folks that have only been in the country for less than a century. So, um, but I think about that when you're, when you're aging and so few people in your cohort share similar experiences to you. I mean, everybody's college educated now. I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people are. And I, you know, I just think about like how, much more lonely that can be when you're find you're trying to find people to talk to, especially as you age and people just kind of keep disappearing. They keep dying and there are fewer and fewer people that you have things in common with. I mean, I think that's, boy, that is, that is friggin' existential today, Hope. So, but good news, bad news, good news, great news. You know, my mother gets out of the hospital. She had to go through a uh, uh, physical therapy, and all the physical therapists are like, they could not believe how strong this woman is. She dances. That was the biggest problem. It's like, this week is the New York State Fair, and every year, she dances at the New York State Fair. You know, she's not one of those, you know, <laughs> fancy dancers. She's 80, you know, she's, but she is a dance group. They dance, they do tap numbers, they, I went to one of their, one of their practices, they practice to Lady Gaga. I mean, they're very contemporary with the music that the woman chooses to have them choreograph to. But she had to miss it. And her biggest complaint was, yeah, now, you know, I didn't, my head doesn't hurt, but my back, I wrenched it a little bit when I fell. It's like, now I walk like an 81-year-old. This is her lament. These are my people.
Well, it looks like we've come to another... The end of another episode, folks. I want to thank Andy Schneider, producer, engineer, composer. You know, I didn't credit him at all the last episode about the music. All the music that we get to hear on this Hope Lafferty's Existential Crisis is thanks to Andy Schneider, founder of the Marfa Channel. I want to thank everybody here at Alamito. And of course, all y'all, as we say on the border, toda la gente, reach out sometime. Tweet me at the Hope Crisis. I'm open 24-7. And before I go today, let's not forget our closing mantra. This week, you know, pay attention to the smells around you. You know, I didn't ask my mother about what she smelled when she, well, first off, when she went down. That would be interesting. But also, uh, you know, <laughs> what the hospital smell was for her. But notice how the smells around you stir you. Maybe who they remind you of. What they remind you of. See if you can conjure a little metallic taste in your mouth that reminds you of somebody else, maybe. But smell a little, smell a lot. Smell you later. And uh, look after yourselves. <laughs> <laughs>